Hello, friends, and welcome to Into the Word, a radio and online program committed to reading, loving, and living the whole counsel of God. I'm your host and Bible guide, Pastor Paul Carter. Your word is a lamp unto my feet. If you have your Bible with you, I'd love for you to open it now to Exodus chapter 24. When you're reading through a book as long and complex as the book of Exodus, it's helpful from time to time to pause and to zoom out, as it were, to be reminded of where you are in the ebb and flow of the narrative. As we've discussed a few times, the book of Exodus has two major sections. The first half tells the story of how God redeemed his people from the land and from the power of Egypt. Second half details the nature and structure of their relationship to God moving forward. Chapter 19 functions as a hinge between the first part of the book and the second part. In chapter 19, God told Moses to speak to the people on his behalf and to say to them, You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Exodus 19, 4-6. So God says, I saved you. I delivered you. I bore you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession and you shall be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Here... God is laying out the conditions of the covenant. If you want to walk with me, if you want to serve me, if you want to be my representatives, my priests and ambassadors to the nations, then walk this way. And everyone was eager to do it. Exodus 19.8 records, All the people answered together and said, All that the Lord has spoken, we will do. We're in, they said, right? Sign us up. We're on board. Fair enough. So later in Exodus 19, Moses goes up and down the mountain in order to begin explaining to the people the nature of this covenant relationship. In chapter 20, he receives the heart and center of it all, known to us as the Ten Commandments. Then from chapter 21, verse 1 through to 24, 18, we have what scholars usually refer to as the Book of the Covenant. Now, some say that the Book of the Covenant only goes to the end of chapter 23, whereas Most Jewish scholars tend to consider chapter 24 as being part of it as well. But either way, you have in that section a group of laws that apply and expand upon the Ten Commandments. It would seem then that Moses came down with the Ten Commandments. Here in chapter 24, he's called to go back up, so obviously he came down. So he came down with the Ten Commandments and probably sat for several judicial sessions he began to apply the laws to actual cases that were brought to him. And he received further divine revelation with respect to this application and extension of the law. And this was all recorded in some sense, either orally or in terms of session minutes, for lack of a better term. But now, here in chapter 24, having accumulated all this content, there is a call now for it to be written down and ratified through a formal ritual and covenant meal. That's where we are in the story. So let's zoom back in now and hear the word of the Lord, beginning at verse 1 of chapter 24. Then he said to Moses, Come up to the Lord, you and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, and 70 of the elders of Israel, and worship from afar. 
Moses alone shall come near to the Lord, but the others shall not come near, and the people shall not come up with him. Now, as we've seen before, there are three zones, as it were, at Mount Sinai. There is the zone at the foot of the mountain where the people as a whole are gathered. Then there is this nearer zone where Aaron, his sons, and the elders are. And then there is a holy of holies, you might say, into which only Moses may enter, and that only at the direct invitation of the Lord. And of course, that pattern will be adopted in both the future tabernacle and temple design. Verse 3, Moses came and told the people all the words of the Lord and all the rules. And all the people answered with one voice and said, All the words that the Lord has spoken, we will do. And Moses wrote down all the words of the Lord. He rose early in the morning and built an altar at the foot of the mountain and twelve pillars according to the twelve tribes of Israel. And he sent young men of the people of Israel who offered burnt offerings and sacrificed peace offerings of oxen to the Lord. And Moses took half of the blood and put it in basins, and half of the blood he threw against the altar. Then he took the book of the covenant and read it in the hearing of the people. And they said, All that the Lord has spoken we will do, and we will be obedient. And Moses took the blood and threw it on the people and said, Behold, the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. Verses 3 to 8 are where many Bible readers can get lost. There's a lot of up and down, and the story isn't told with the same sort of strict chronology that we're used to. Sometimes dischronological elements are spliced into biblical stories for thematic reasons. We've talked about that before. So if you're feeling lost here, that's okay. Hebrew scholar Nahum Sarna explains the structure of this section very well, and I think it's worth quoting him at length here. He mentions that Moses has now orally given the sum and substance of the law. Having heard the stipulations, they now orally bind themselves to obedience, using the same formula of affirmation as before. The stipulations are then put into writing, and a sacrificial ritual and a blood rite take place, verses 4 to 6. The written document is read to the people, who again make a collective pledge of affirmation and loyalty, whereupon the blood rite is completed verses 7 to 8. The representatives of the people ascend partway up the mountain and there experience a manifestation of the divine majesty. A solemn covenantal meal concludes the entire episode, verses 9 to 11, closed quote. So that's the big picture in terms of what is going on in these verses. Now, in terms of the young men who serve as priests or cultic assistants in the story, you'll remember that we mentioned when discussing the redemption of the firstborn that initially it appears as though the priesthood was made up of the firstborn sons of all the families in Israel. It was only after the incident with the golden calf in verse 32 that the priesthood was restricted to the tribe of Levi. The dashing of the blood mentioned in verse 8 was likely intended to remind people of the severity of breaking the oaths that were being made in this covenant ceremony. Most covenant ceremonies in the ancient world involved some kind of self-maledictory curse. Thus shall it be done to me if I break the oath that I make today in your presence, that sort of thing. Of course, the full meaning and symbolism will not be understood until Jesus takes the cup at Passover and uses words from Exodus 24, saying, Drink of it, all of you, for this 
is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. It is the blood of Jesus that ultimately pays for all our covenant transgressions. Thanks be to God. The solemn covenant ceremony, as Nahum Sarna referred to it, is now narrated for us in verses 9 to 11. Then Moses and Aaron and Nadab and Abihu and 70 of the elders of Israel went up, and they saw the God of Israel. There was under his feet, as it were, a pavement of sapphire stone, like the very heaven for clearness. And he did not lay his hand on the chief men of the people of Israel. They beheld God and ate and drank. Now, anytime the Bible speaks of people seeing God, we may be confused because the Bible says in Exodus 33, verse 20, that no one can see God and live. D.A. Carson is helpful here. He says, whenever Old Testament writers say that certain people saw God or the like, inevitably there are qualifications. For as this book says elsewhere, no one can look on the face of God and live. Thus, when we are told that the elders saw the God of Israel, the only description is something like a pavement under his feet. God remains distanced. Yet, this is a glorious display, graciously given to deepen alliance, while a special mediating role is preserved for Moses, who alone goes all the way up the mountain, closed quote. So we see God calling Moses alone further up the mountain in verse 12. The Lord said to Moses, Come up to me on the mountain and wait there, that I may give you the tablets of stone with the law and the commandment which I have written for their instruction. So Moses rose with his assistant Joshua, and Moses went up into the mountain of God. And he said to the elders, Wait here for us until we return to you. And behold, Aaron and Hur are with you, Whoever has a dispute, let him go to them. So here we see yet another trip up the mountain for Moses. We can safely assume that the elders and Aaron and his sons went down the mountain, given that they are told to hold court and make any judgments necessary in Moses' absence. So the elders go down and Joshua and Moses go up. We learn in chapter 32 that Joshua didn't go all the way up. He waited partway for Moses to return. But from this point on in the story, all the way through to chapter 32, Moses is up on the mountain, receiving instructions and laws from God. That journey begins now in verse 15. Then Moses went up on the mountain, and the cloud covered the mountain. The glory of the Lord dwelt on Mount Sinai, and the cloud covered it six days. And on the seventh day, he called to Moses out of the midst of the cloud. Now the appearance of the glory of the Lord was like a devouring fire on the top of the mountain in the sight of the people of Israel. Moses entered the cloud and went up on the mountain, and Moses was on the mountain forty days and forty nights. This story is a marvel and a wonder all on its own, but as a Christian reading this story, of course I can't help but think of Jesus' journey up the mountain with his young assistants as recorded, for example, in Mark 9. We have the cloud, we have the voice of God, we have special revelation, and we have overwhelming presence. Moses appears in that story too, alongside Elijah, but at the end, they disappear, and the voice from heaven says, this is my beloved son, 
listen to him. As great as Moses was, as great as Elijah was, they all bow before the ultimate prophet, the ultimate teacher, the ultimate word from on high. Thanks be to God. And thank you for listening to Into the Word. If you're interested in additional resources or previous episodes and series, you can find all those over the website at www.intotheword.ca. You can also connect with us on Facebook. I hope that you do. We have a growing community of Bible readers over there. We post daily encouragements, some user reflections, and also some conversation starters. It would be great to see you there. And I hope to see you again real soon, right here, for another episode of Into the Word.